I said good day, sir. You don't ever plan anything around the eagles because the eagles represent the grace of God. Okay. You heathen bastards. What a vanilla nebbish name. Well, you know, orcs are people too. I'm thinking of that one cult that got taken out with one punch. So he's got a wall, okay. a gall, a gall, and a wall. Every time you mention the eagles, I think Don Henley. <laughs> regular listeners will will hopefully recall um i just recently started a new DD campaign with a kind of a recurring group of uh folks that i've been playing with for a while and uh we we instituted a, a change in the in the adoption of the new campaign we've moved over to roll 20 um and if you're not familiar with roll 20 one of the features of that is uh, you have a virtual character sheet and uh, when you take an action in game, either make a, a skill roll or any any kind of roll that you make, uh, one you you click on whatever whatever that skill is. Like if I want to make a diplomacy roll, I click, click on my diplomacy skill, and the roll twenty program has all of my skill bonuses and everything plugged in, and it uses a random number generator to then give me my roll. Now there's a certain haptic element that's missing there and I'm still getting used to not not being able to roll a die. Uh, but it does in in many ways it speeds up play uh, which is nice when you have a large group like we have. the <laughs> the downside is it's supposed to be a random number generator and I don't know how random it really is. Uh, because we all agree in our group that after our game last night, the big bad evil guy was actually the dice roller. <laughs> because everybody in the party struggled to roll over a 10 for anything all night. Um, and it was so bad that the, the DM was struggling to roll over a 10 all night. I mean, we did. My wife's my wife's thief uh, on on one occasion got a very notable critical hit that was really cool, um, especially based on the fact that the rest of us were all rolling for shit. Um, but yeah, but it was it was one of those nights where, like, a combat that should have lasted probably four rounds total. Like it was it was supposed to be a quick okay. Haha, and we have the reveal of of you know who the double agent within within town has been. 
you know, and, and that's supposed to be the big thing, but the big thing was trying to take down a pack of goblins <laughs> because we couldn't hit anything to save our souls. Um, and, and yeah. And, and then at the same time, because my wife and I are, are playing virtually Robert, our little boy, uh, has gotten used to on game night. Uh, he gets to roll the dice for mommy mm. and we had to explain to him. We're not, we're not doing that anymore. We don't, we don't have a physical die for you to roll. And he was, he was very disappointed, which on the one hand, I'm sad that my kid is disappointed. On the other hand, I'm raising him right because he's excited about rolling dice. <laughs> so we're going in the right direction. So anyway, that's, that's what I've had going on. Um, you know, uh, hashtag nerd problems. Uh, how about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and a U.S. history teacher at the high school level up here in Northern California. Uh, and uh, the thing that I, I've i got uh, this week is that I've finally gotten my last Latin class mm-hmm. through the book. Uh, I think I'd said something about having taught the final Latin grammar lesson uh, on a previous yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what happens next is that they don't go straight from that to now you can translate Latin. There is an intermediate step that I've created for them. The curriculum I designed was designed to get them through a fourth year. I found a okay. guy from the turn of the 20th century. His last name was Richie. Uh, and he wrote the Fabulae Facules. No, is that what he wrote. That might be. Um, Anyway, uh, he wrote, essentially, rewrote four major myths. Uh, You had the story of Perseus, you had the story of Hercules, you had the story of Jason the Argonauts, and you had the story of Odysseus. And he rewrote it in such a way that it would increase in complexity as they went along, and it would serve as a bridge between students in the turn of the 20th century uh, who had finished their Latin reader uh, and were mm-hmm. then going to move on to reading actual, translating actual Latin. Okay. And it works. It works really well. I actually have a copy of the book. Come to think of it, I have the copy of the book back here. Um, and that book is from 1925. Oh, damn. And it's a reprint because the original okay. came out in 1903. Okay. So I was looking forward to doing that book in the 100th mm-hmm. anniversary of having that book. Mm-hmm. And I will have missed it by two years because oh, it's the very sucks. last time for that program. Yeah. yeah. So it is a bittersweet moment because it's mm-hmm. this is the last time I'll get to do these stories with students that are not my own children. Um, and the jury is out as to whether or not they'll want to go that far into it. I hope so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it is a bittersweet thing, uh, because it's, I, I love these stories dearly. Uh, it's part of why Latin three is one of the easiest classes, uh, of Latin, or it is the easiest Latin class that I teach. Cause by the point, by this point, you know, your stuff and it's, it's fun translations. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's nothing to move them on beyond. So it's, uh, like I said, yeah, it sucks. Bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. Um, especially when my district is, is trying to do all kinds of things of like, you know, we need to really increase like the amount of, uh, world languages we teach. And I'm like, why don't you say, um, hi. Yeah. Too bad. 
So anyway, uh, yeah. that bitterness aside, uh, it is still cool because we're doing the story of Perseus. Um, and most kids nice. at the age that I'm teaching have read Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're finding fun things there. And then we'll switch over to Jason and the Argonauts. Um, nice. And then they'll switch over to Odysseus or Ulysses. Um, mm-hmm. And there will be all kinds of fun stuff with all of those things. So nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's see. Last yeah. we left off, um, George, uh, a, George W. Bush was talking about human animal hybrids um, <laughs> in, in a State of the Union address. And what's wild is that's not the most ridiculous thing talked about in a State of the Union address in this century. Um, so, yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, essentially like G.I. Joe is in its second season and yeah. it is punching hard on the button of science and DNA and altering people's DNA. And it's also like it's got a twin blast going because the other thing it's really pushing on is technology, the use of computers, hacking, viruses, things like that. And these Mm -hmm. are the big things that it's pushing on. And there's other stuff along the way. Uh, But uh, those seem to be the main themes uh, that G.I. Joe pulls on in its second season. And it develops characters as it's going along. Uh, and, And you really get to see kind of an internal life of these characters uh internal motivations and things like that it's it's really and what's interesting too though is that you have characters that you've introduced who are high ticket item characters for instance sergeant slaughter who disappear for several episodes at a time yeah you know uh and serpentor who started off as this huge menacing big bad evil guy and this is the problem with with writing sometimes when you write mm. the bad guy to end all bad guys you have you have nowhere to go from there exactly yeah. so, so uh, then... it's it's referred to as villain decay okay cool well unfortunately villain decay leads to him being um pecuniary in his focus so <laughs> telethons yeah, uh yeah. you know getting rich people to give him money shaking them down or like stealing young women to then use drain their, their youth beauty. you know yeah uh okay so he's draining their youth in 86 yep the the podlings were being drained by the skexis in 82 uh yeah okay just that yeah, kind that, of interesting... that harmonic kind of kind of hit yeah. me Okay. You know what's what's really that that was an episode that honestly disturbed me too with Madame Vale because at the very end, um, they they stopped the machine but not before they got it started, and then you hear Madame Vale screaming and that she's hideous and don't look at me and there's like just a few frames where you okay. see her face and it's literally just blank. <laughs> Like That's like Twilight to... Zone shit. Yeah, but at least Twilight Zone, it was grotesque, right? This is yeah. like, seriously, they forgot to draw in the face. Like, that's what her face now looks like. And they ask Lifeline, they're like, can you do something for her? He's like, I'll try, but there's not much to work with. And it's like, the wages of sin are really fucking high. <laughs> like, are, are permanent are disfigurement. Again, nobody's disturbing. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. But like, whoo. Damn. Yeah. 
So and then you know you, you so you've got that episode and and you've got these uh you know semi silly episodes and things like that and then you've mm-hmm. got some really deep ones that you're like wait that's a GI Joe episode like the one with the dust children yeah and then like I said there's an overarching storyline for some of these characters or at least character development throughout right and yeah. and then there's an episode that's like midway through the season that really kind of makes me truly wonder. If the writers suspected that Reagan had Alzheimer's. Okay, you 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 fully have my my attention. Mm-hmm. You you have my intriguedness yeah. now. And I'm and this is not by joke. This is I genuinely wonder because people were joking at that time. Um now I sent you a a link in advance of this show. Yeah. Of a skit from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman played Ronald Reagan. We, we and I lost believe so was... much when he died. Yeah, I know. I mean, and I believe that particular one was from 1986. If I remember right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, and now that makes me kind of wonder <laughs> doubting myself. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's from the mid 1980s. It's from around that time. Yeah. Second term. Yeah, Absolutely. So you've got this skit that's actually occurring in 1986 when this stuff is all happening. So the skit has him. Um, well, why don't you describe it? I had you watch it. Why don't you tell me what the skit, uh, um, the, it, the conceit it, of the skit and so on. The conceit of the skit is uh, the, the skit starts. I don't remember what it is. Reagan is is Reagan. Phil Hartman mm-hmm. as Reagan in mm-hmm. uh, a, a remarkably good impersonation. Um, he's, he's, you know, the, the doddering, oh, he's talking to a reporter. He's specifically talking to a reporter about Iran Contra. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, well, you know, I just hope that my answers have been, you know, useful since I really, I really don't know anything. And, and, and like they punch up the, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, like four or five times. Right. Like as a as a comedic, like I really need to get in the phrase. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. You know, as many as many times as I can say it to to you know push push the line. Mm-hmm. And then the reporter leaves, and he and he turns around and still in a Reagan like voice, but <laughs> but you know with without all the affable aw shucks, you know, kind of uh, uh, affability. Yeah, for lack he's of a now word. commanding. He's and... now he's now very assertive, very commanding. He yeah. you know hits the hits the intercom button on his on his desk and says, "All right, get in here." You know, and and you know a whole bunch all all the all the other cast all the other male cast members from the show you know right. rush into the room. They all take up chairs and he's like, "All right, now get this straight." And nobody, nobody forget any of this. Right. And he's I'm only going to say it once. I'm only going to say this once. Yeah. And he goes through this this convoluted explanation of how they're going to get money from here to move it to to the contras and you know the swiss bank accounts and this that and the other thing and it's this convoluted thing and then and then in the middle of it you know the secretary somebody sticks their head in and says uh you know mr president uh the uh the girl scout who sold the most cookies this year is here for her photo op he's like God, I hate this part of this job. Yeah. All right. This is the part of the job that I hate. Yeah, this is the part of the job that I hate. All right. Yeah. Everybody out. Send her in. 
And then, you know, he goes back to being And he America's, takes a beat too, where he yeah, just kind of he takes a beat where wiggling he, where his he, head around. You know, it's it's he yeah. almost he practically waves a hand in front of his face, right? And then he and then, oh well, you know, uh Susie, uh I, I hope uh you can use some of your sales smarts to help me with Congress. Yeah. You know, the the you know, you know, bullshit politician joke, right? And mm-hmm. then and then, you know, she leaves and he goes and right back to all right back in here i'm not done yet and you know they all come in and he's you know throwing stuff out doesn't he take Some, a phone call and speaks in that person yeah he, he speaks yeah and it's and yeah. it's uh bullshit arabic it's right. it's yeah, actually yeah. offensive fake arabic yeah by 1986 by modern, yeah 1986 yeah. you know fake arabic and yeah. and uh, he says all right so the syrians are on board you know i have good news the syrians are on board and we're gonna you know something something whatever and then, uh, and then somebody sticks their head in and says, uh, "Mr. President, Jimmy Stewart is here." Right. And Dana Carvey comes in as Dana as uh, as yeah. uh, you've changed, Dutch. You've changed. You've, you've changed. You're just you're a jerk, Ronald, Ronnie, Dutch, Dutch. Dutch. He calls him Dutch yeah. every time he's you know, and uh, you know, and then and then you know, there's there's a like a moment of remorse for having shot a, a friendship in the in the in the foot, but then he, you know, goes right back to all right, you know, get in here. And the skit ends with everybody else on the staff fast asleep. That's right. Cause he's been going like all day. Right. And he says, Oh wow. Oh wow, it's it's three AM. Well, you know what? The banks will be opening in Zurich about now. And he gets on the phone and, right. and, and moving you know, starts around. starts speaking German. Right. Yeah. And, well, and, and that's and that's the close that and hadn't he like ahead. been doing like complex like math of like you know well if we charge oh, yeah, him yeah. This one, much, of, then one of them one of them says says something about yeah and 12 yeah, cents doing, i know doing... i know <laughs> i know i know yeah um so you know clearly he's this evil genius is the, you know the, the conceit of the skit is that that he's actually this evil genius who's who's hiding all of that behind his affable well you know i really can't talk about that i don't know very much kind of you know demeanor um you know and and the thing is at the time it was funny because everybody was talking about what what a doddering old man he looked like yeah you know and and his constant refrain of well you know i i can't say as i remember yeah and it was like i don't recall to 139 questions yeah and and it's and part of that and and i remember at the time on the stand um (laughs) The comment, the commentary at the time was, okay, we know some of this is bullshit, mm-hmm. but is all of it bullshit? Because how much does he really not actually remember? Right, and was that, like that was a meaningful question. question. Yeah, yeah, and and so they they took that and completely flipped it on its head, mm-hmm. you know, for comedic value. And and the funny thing is, with you know. 40 years almost 40 years of 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 uh hindsight on it there's a part of me that looks at that and is like you know what these guys might not have been far off like i i kind of wonder you know if 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 there wasn't at least a grain of truth to the idea no 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 he really was actually you know in the thick of it and and you know the 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 multiple decimal point math obviously is you know exaggeration but like how how much of it was his third tier guys running things without him doing proper oversight? And how much of it was actually him being a 
no, no, I'm a fucking cold warrior. This is what we're going to fucking do. You know? Well, I, I think let's find out. Okay. Here's some, here's some research. Now the All facts right. are this, uh, Ronald Reagan was officially diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 1994. Mm-hmm. People immediately started combing through his work as president to see if there were any early signs, because very often you do have early onset Alzheimer's. I'm going to share with you a a very sad but hard not to laugh at it story. A friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, um, called me. Oh, God, I think it was before COVID or maybe right when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And she said, hey, uh, you know, I I want you to know... um, I have early onset Alzheimer's. I said, oh my God, that, mm. that, how are you with that? Like, you know, just let's talk it out. Mm-hmm. And she was relatively sanguine about it. Um, because what else are you going to fucking do? You yeah. know? And so she's just like, yeah, like, like it's, it's almost like, I don't know. I don't know. Parts of my house are going to be demolished and I won't remember that they were there. That kind of a thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. how, you know, and so she's put all the plans into place and all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, yeah. well, you know, I'm so glad you told me and I'm so sorry. And do please keep in touch and as much as you'd like to. And three weeks later, I got the exact same phone call. <sighs> it was hard. And I also couldn't help but kind of laugh that I'm yeah. being called by a person who does not remember that they called me. Yeah. Tell me. That they have Alzheimer's. Yeah. And then about a month later, I got the same call. And like this happened seven times. Oh, shit. Really? And it's like I'm I'm laughing, not crying at this. But like, number one, this is one of my greatest fears. Uh, Number two, like. I mean, central casting call, they want an easy skit, you know, like. Yeah, like. Like, goddamn. So. So there are early mm. signs, and sometimes yeah. it's that you call a friend multiple times to tell them that you have Alzheimer's. Um, so they're coming through his work yeah, because it really felt like he had it. Uh, from 1986, interestingly enough, forward, yeah. he, Ronald Reagan, spent his time in increasing seclusion, reportedly by people on his staff paying less and less attention in cabinet meetings. Now... This could be attributed to simple uh, depression because he'd taken a massive hit to his reputation as an image from the Iran-Contra scandal, right? So this could just Okay, yeah. But further backward research has found two measures, okay? And Alzheimer's uh, research is always developing. Um, The use of repetitive words is one measure. Right. And the substituting of nonspecific terms like, like thing. Or specific nouns, you know, hand me, hand me the, 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 the thing, come on, the thing that's right there, you know. Right, that. right, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. These both increased toward the end of Ronald Reagan's presidency compared to the start of it. Now, mm. that there's that. A third measure, his use of unique words also declined as well. Now, now, when in, we say unique words in this yeah. context, what does that mean? So where he would use words that he doesn't normally use. Okay. 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 So instead of falling back on the same types of like rote speech words. Okay. Um, okay. I guess uh, an example would be, you know, unique words would be evidence that you're still learning and you're still reading and you're still doing things. Okay. All right. You know, using using the same words over and over again. 
uh, or the same types of words and, or, or just, you know, you, you can measure how many, how many words are in a person's speech. Yeah. And you could do a chart. You could do a word, uh, a word cloud, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The fewer and, of and... those things in that cloud, the fewer unique words you have. Okay. That, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. And cause yeah, the same, the same kind of measures have been done exhaustingly to, uh, our, our, most recent before this one president yes and and quite and, frankly given the this one's age should do the same now yes, i will grant you he has a speech lie. impediment which yeah. might skew that data yeah um but it is still a worthwhile study when you keep hiring septuagenarians to do this goddamn job this is true you know we do set an age limit at the bottom because we recognize that not enough age gives you not enough experience perhaps yeah. we could set an age limit at the top, considering yeah, not... that the average age of men up until recently was well below this number. This is true. So, but yeah. anyway, uh, imperceptible cognitive decline often predates by many years the precipitous downturn that occurs once compensatory strategies like relying on well-rehearsed phrases and simple words uh, fail and an individual can no longer mask their cognitive deficit. So, um, if, if you always use the same kind of catchphrases, mm -hmm. you start to use those instead of anything else. And people won't necessarily pick up on the fact that you forgot the word. Right. Right. You right. know, the thing is, we also know that when people are put under deep anesthesia for say life-saving surgery, that can actually jumpstart the symptoms of dementia. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and it can also just permanently lower their cognitive ability of the patient. Um, when Bill Clinton went in for bypass surgery, right, he came out of it greatly diminished cognitively for multiple years. Um, mm. He was he was much slower. I'm not, uh, you know, his his slower is still most people's like turbocharged because that guy's yeah. fucking smart. Yeah, but um, there's a thing called pump head. Uh, essentially, when you're yeah. put on a bypass pump, it yeah, you you mentioned you mentioned that I think mm -hmm. episode before last. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So it, a study that got published in 1988 suggested that Ronald Reagan had some cognitive impairment during his debates with President Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale, um, but the authors mm -hmm. said that their findings were insufficient to conclude that the changes affected Reagan's policy judgments and ability to make decisions. So, like. We're not saying, but we're saying. Um, okay. And that study comes out after G.I. Joe, the cartoons. So yeah, right, I, right, I right, can't yeah. use, I cannot enter that into evidence, but yeah, that study was an ongoing study. Yeah. But in 1986, there there were people who were already kind of yeah, looking I mean, askance at how, how, how the skit that you just, you know, described. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But this much is true. At least one memo reached his chief of staff in 1987. Now, again, that's after this, this show is over, but for yeah. that memo to have gotten there, et cetera, okay? In 1987, it came from several aides who were concerned enough to suggest invoking the 25th Amendment. In 87? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. And remember, he was in greater and greater isolation. He would uh, just sit down and watch movies. And that was it. Old wow. movies. Yeah. Um, 
A few quotes from folks, including James Cannon, an aide who made the case to Howard H. Baker Jr., who came aboard in 1987 as chief of staff, um, quote, talking about Reagan, quote, Mm. he was lazy. He wasn't interested in the job. They said he wouldn't read the papers they gave him, even short position papers and documents. I'm going to break in here. You remember uh, there was a lot of talk about how Reagan only wanted it to exist on two sides of a paper. Right. He wanted to tame the paper blizzard, as he called it. Yeah. So he already starts off with like, hey, yeah. I am <laughs> I was elected to lead, not to read. Right. <laughs> um Bush asked for it only on one one piece of paper. Really? Yeah. Bush Jr. Jr. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, asked okay. for it only right. on one one side. Yeah. Um and and Trump wanted a lot of pictures. <sighs> That's right. He did, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. His, 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 I remember this is, this is within the first two years of, this is within the first half of his term. Right. Uh, they word got out from the White House about how much trouble they were having getting him to pay any attention to briefings. Like, yeah, the PDB. You need to make it, you need to be, you need to make it, you know, bullet points, punchy brief, and, and right. give him graphics. Like, right. Which, fuck me, he's supposed to be the leader of the free world. Like, come on, you know. Well, and you remember with with Trump, it was kind of, uh, you know, his his intuitive ideology guided what he did. But if you were the last person to talk to him, he wanted to seem smart, so he would listen to that person. Yeah. This also was true under Reagan. They were jockeying for position with his calendar makers to see if they could be the last one in the room because you typically got your way talking to him. Now, that also is pretty common when uh, dealing with people with dementia. Well, because if you can't remember the first three people that you talk to, right. the fourth and fifth remember. people are going to get what they want. Right. Yeah. Fuck. So back to the quote. Um, yeah. They said he wouldn't come over to work. All he wanted to do was to watch movies and television at the residence. Now, again... This could just be depression. Um, of course, if you're depressed because you got caught doing illegal shit uh, and you had to <laughs> lie to not yeah. get impeached, yeah. uh, you know, I got some problems there. Uh, yeah. Also, okay, if this is depression, fucking see a doctor because you got a job to do, man. Like, or yeah. step down. You know, there yeah. was a perfectly capable shithead uh, guy who is way <laughs> more qualified than you. Uh <laughs> waiting in the number yeah. two spot yeah, yeah. so yeah. i i love i love how you could say shithead and yeah. still say he he was still way more qualified yes yeah like uh, highly qualified a dick Barry. but yeah highly qualified yes. yes yeah and probably of the three generations of bushes the least shitty in that yes like, yes which i mean is a low bar but it is when when know. his dad was hiding nazi money yeah. And had been part of the businessman's plot. And his yeah. son was. Was. Well. W. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another quote. Uh, <laughs> Stephen F. Knott, uh, a professor of national security affairs in the United States Naval War College, uh, said that by 1987, Ronald Reagan, quote, was never a detailed person, fell asleep at cabinet meetings in the midst of briefings from droning bureaucrats, was horrible at remembering names. This was a man who required lots of rest and recreation. So 87 Reagan 
is not the great communicator. 87 Reagan is riding on the coattails of the great communicator shit that, that it. Oh happened. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, by the last, by the last two years of a second term. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was, it was the, the grand viziers were, were running shit. Yes. Um, which makes it all the more alarming because prior to that, his wife was giving him advice based on a San Francisco Astrology. astrologer. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe, maybe based on that, you, there's, there could be an argument made that maybe we were better off with the viziers running things, but the viziers were evil fucks. So, right. Yeah. You know, we being white men. Yes. Yeah. Everybody we else. Being not so queer much. people. No. We no. being brown people. No. Black no. people. No. Women. No. Like, yeah. No. Only for yeah. one group, really. Yeah. And even then only one small segment of that group. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. But now, now Baker, to his credit, um, and this is not Jim Baker. He'd been shot. Uh, Howard Baker, the the chief yeah. of staff in '87. Yeah, to his credit, he took this memo seriously and he kept an eye on Reagan. He ended up dismissing the idea because he didn't find any significant decline. Now, in fairness, he had just stepped into the job in '87, so there's that. Um, yeah, but you don't just step. It's it's not like they plucked him off the street either. Though. Yeah, no, he'd yeah. been around. Exactly. So yeah. how much do you want to find? But okay. Um, still in 86, we've got that that skit that Hartman is is pretending to be the doddering old fool uh, who's out of his depth until the public's gone. And at that point, he's running the whole world. Right. So mm -hmm. this is clearly in the zeitgeist. Professor so, Moriarty. Yes. Um, so the the episode of of G.I. Joe that made me wonder was that Serpentor was having them go all over the place to pick up his old toys. Not literally. He he uh he wants his old weapons so that he can feel powerful again to to hold his old weapons. And okay. and each one that he holds, he looks like that character, which is, you know, okay. Now you've got some some representation there, right? Yeah. Um he so he's got them all these ancient weapons and and they're going to make him more powerful or more immortal or some shit like that. It's never fully defined. Um, he ends up poisoning Leatherneck and Wetsuit. Uh, um, or no, he ends up poisoning Leatherneck um, and Wetsuit has to go and save Leatherneck. And so it's really this rivalry between the SEALs and the Marines. Yeah. Um, and ostensibly, these ancient weapons are, are helping Serpentor rejuvenate and things like that. But at this point, None of Cobra knows why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, they feel adrift in following him. They're devastatingly afraid of his physical violence toward them. It just kind of has a Alzheimer y feel. We to don't it. we don't want to talk about how grandpa is declining. Yeah. Kind of vibe going on. And it's weirdly fantastical, even for a guy who is made up from the DNA of all these different yeah. guys. Um, it's just this like, well, we'll follow him despite it not making any sense. And yeah. he never offers to make any sense. He never shares with anyone else what his plans are. He just wants it done. Yeah. And that feels very much like what I just described with Reagan. Um, have I mentioned that Tomex and Zamot own a corporation, extensive enterprises that works hand in hand with Cobra? Yeah. Okay. A couple well, of times. Here's yeah. Ronald Reagan on taxation. Quote, some say shift the tax burden to business and industry, but businesses don't pay tax or business doesn't pay taxes. 
Oh, don't get the wrong idea. Business is being taxed so much so that we're being priced out of the world market. But business must pass its costs of operations, and that includes taxes, onto the customer and the price of the product. Only people pay taxes, all the taxes. Government just uses businesses in a kind of sneaky way to help collect the taxes. They're hidden in the price. We aren't aware of how much tax we will actually pay. Mm. Ah, yes. Hypercapitalism and and the unfettered free market. Yeah, corporatism galore, right? Oh, so much, yeah. There's an episode also where sci-fi and... Sci-fi is is a character. So there's some of these characters have just they're really dumb. Um, so sci-fi, yeah. uh, I can't really tell what his specialty is. You could probably look it up and it would say something dumb. Yeah. But sci-fi is kind a character who is like you can barely just he almost looks like a transformer took over a human. Um, all you see is his jaw. Uh, and then there's another character named Zap who is specifically a laser specialist. Which, what are all their guns doing? Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> but yeah, sci-fi. so he's yeah. he's a he's a generic kind of high, anything high tech shit. Um, okay. Laser weapon systems, electronics. Okay. And th- here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. Gonna guess here. That uh, him being introduced in about 86, mm-hmm. this is the very, very nascent beginnings of the army starting to work on next gen soldier programs. Mm. And that so there's be. an echo of that because okay. something, something I noticed like back in the first episode, yeah. um, the when the, I was talking satellites, when you were talking satellites, and mm-hmm. also. When you sent me the the compilation of of you know <laughs> look at look at all this happened in Marvel Comics you know TV advertisements which they're not really advertising the comics but they the, totally are because that's yeah, legal and okay no um, <laughs> <laughs> like even I tell you what even even as a ten year old I'd have been like I don't think you're advertising the comic book <laughs> um, but but I want whatever the fuck it is you're selling. Um, but they, they, a lot of the vehicles in the, mm-hmm. in the earlier few, few episodes, a lot of the vehicles were very clearly directly inspired by what was the cutting edge zitgeist thing yes. that U.S. military industrial complex was now doing. You know, Ace's Ace's aircraft, at least the Tomcat, before they, before they got the Y wing, the the you know forward swept wing model, mm-hmm. was an F fourteen Tomcat. Yeah, uh, GI Joe got an M one Abrams tank, uh, yep. basically earlier than most units in the U.S. Army did, <laughs> because yep. the, the Abrams was you know this is this is what we're going to use to stop the Soviets getting through the Fulda Pass. They had a dune buggy with a cannon on it. Yeah, we'll, the all striker. Yeah, we'll we'll kind of move past that because that's comic <laughs> book garbage. But um, and the Cobra, I gotta look this one up. But okay. I, I, Cobra's, I had to Cobra's main uh plane was like an A ten Warthog, except yes. that its its wings would turn so it would have upward mobility. Yeah, it was well. it was VTOL. Yeah. Uh, then, give me a second here. I got to look this up because. Uh, and then. Uh, all right. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. 
so but but gi joe had a uh, helicopter gunship yeah that was because i had the toy i know it was because my father used me as an excuse to get some of these things because he's a military hardware geek um but the the uh gi joe gunship was a huey cobra Mm-hmm. which now had been had been around since you know the 1960s but was still kind of hot shit and mm-hmm. this was right before by the time that was being released this was i don't know 5 or 6 years i think before the apache showed up okay and so but but there's this there's this consistent theme within the development of gi joe characters and 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 the toys that feeds off of okay what's what's the latest thing that's that's being developed because of course when when a forward swept wing aircraft wound up being tested and was all over the headlines as this mm-hmm. you know new high tech thing then then almost immediately that's what ace was flying yeah you know e- even though that that test model wound up failing because the the computer systems weren't sophisticated enough to keep it from being a widow maker Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't ACE anymore. It was Slipstream. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which sounds like a Transformer name. I think it might've been some borrow over. Yeah. And yeah. So. But yeah, you, you have this cutting edge technology constantly being with, with GI Joe. Yeah. And so, and so sci-fi, because sci-fi is a second, second or third generation figure. Uh, Zap. he's, He's fourth. Oh, Zap okay. was Zap was like third or second. Yeah, I know Zap was earlier. I want to say Zap was like a second second gen, mm-hmm. and he was the you know laser rifle trooper, and it was a sp- and and in the toys it was a really special thing, right? You know because the toys carried conventional weaponry, but in in the cartoon show they were all using lasers because you know we can't shoot show them actually firing guns, right? Because weird American censorship. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, can't show the guns landing in terms of like yeah. their targets. Yeah. Yeah. You could hit vehicles, but you're always going to hit just behind the tail, or you're gonna you're yeah. basically you're gonna give them a chance to bail out. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. No, no, it's fine. It was... Um, so sci-fi and mm-hmm. Sergeant Slaughter go to a science fiction convention. Okay. All the tropey stuff there about what sci-fi conventions are. Yeah. But you also have an author who is there whom Cobra is trying to recruit to perfect a laser. Okay. Because he's he's apparently an expert on this laser. So Cobra needs to recruit him. Now, in season one, Cobra had Dr. Lucifer, uh, had several... Uh, you know, uh, really important evil scientists. Yeah. Um, or or a Romani woman that they would bully. Uh, yeah. Or or whatnot. Now it's go and find this author, who is like the equivalent of Thomas Jane, I guess, when it comes to lasers. Uh, and okay. So um, and he's disabled. Oh, okay. All right. It's representation. All right. Yeah. And I'll say cool. this for GI Joe: they portrayed a man in a wheelchair who is not just a nice guy, which is so easy to do, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. he's a wheelchair, yeah. he's so earnest. No, this guy's a total asshole to his younger brother, Jeremy. Like an abusive okay. prick to his younger brother. Um, And he doesn't actually get a redemption arc either, where he learns that the real disability is his attitude. No, he stays a prick. 
Um, but and Jeremy's like codependent enough that it's okay. But Cobra is still right. able to woo him by saying shit like, Well, of course you want to walk, don't you? Okay. So uh you know, yeah, I'm, I'm I have to interject this. Mm-hmm. Um science fiction author who's an abusive prick. Mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta I kinda wanna look him up and see if he looks like Harlan Ellison. Har- Harlan Ellison had had a reputation he was was one of these guys mm-hmm. who was a genius i am never going to take anything away from harlan ellison's talent oh my god his, he looks exactly like harlan ellison no shit really no shit yeah <laughs> i just looked him up while you're doing it. yes yeah somebody yes, somebody does. in the writers somebody in the writer's room had had met harlan ellison at a convention and wow. had an axe to grind um ellison there there are a legion of people who knew ellison and were were fiercely loyal to him in life and are still fiercely loyal to him to this day uh to harlan ellison's credit he was he was unfailingly generous to people he loved and cared about um and he and he had a number of of very good good characteristics but one of the things that he's famous for is he was a genius and he fucking knew it mm and he he could be prickly to a remarkable like like huge spines prickly and and not only not only did he did he kind of carry a chip on his shoulder that way but he could be unbelievably condescending wow like grotesquely condescending um yeah and and so when when you say that this guy you know was was a prick to his to his younger brother and he's a science mm-hmm. fiction author, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's yeah. what immediately went through my head. So yeah. yeah, apparently he does look like him. So there you so, go. Yeah, he's a prick. Uh, the upside is that uh, there's costumers and cosplayers at this convention. Yeah, to the point where nice. Sergeant Slaughter starts fighting against Cobra people and a his tank comes in. Remember, Cobra uses the his tank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which is a Panzer. Um, yeah. And, and they also, they also had, uh, cause remember there's always parity, uh, when it came to, uh, the equipment the vehicles, right? Yeah. So the GI Joe had the, the not as exciting, uh, M1 Abrams. And then you didn't yeah. look nearly as cool. The his yeah. tanks, man, they looked fucking cool. Yeah. Um, then Cobra or then GI Joe would have the, uh, the Tomcat Cobra had the, the, the warthog, right? Yeah. Um, and they had a cool character named Wild Weasel who was flying it. Yeah. Um, and then you had the G.I. Joe, uh, the Dragonfly, those yeah. helicopters. Are those the are those the ones you were talking about earlier? Um, hold on, let me look it up. One? Okay. Cause there's there's Wild Bill's uh Dragonfly, and then there's Lift Ticket's uh rescue helicopter. Um, but then uh Cobra only had one uh helicopter and it it had no cockpit. It's just an open seat. Yeah. So dumb. yeah, the dragon, Great the dragonfly was mm-hmm. the Huey gunship. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. The other one was the Apache then. Yep. Um, yeah. So anyway, so you had all that. So the his tank comes crashing through the wall and uh, Sergeant Slaughter is beating the shit out of Cobra guys. And, you know, and, and, and they're trying to protect uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the author who's an expert on lasers for some reason. Um, and Cobra like seduces him to come with them. And all this, while the fight's going on, 
um, a bunch of costume people are like, this isn't nearly as good as last time. Last time they used such and such. So like yeah. super tropey shit, right? Oh yeah. Um, and and yeah, it shows people dressed up at a at, at a convention. The downside is that this convention literally exists only in two different rooms, um, at a small room facility because it's a science fiction convention in the mid nineteen eighties, and of yeah. course the ableism. Um, but yeah. I I did like that. Number one, we see Sergeant Slaughter come back, and number two, um, we see a science fiction convention. And Sarge even says, shouldn't we go undercover? And sci-fi is like, trust me, dude, we're fine. <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, having having been the it being, I should mm-hmm. say, the kind of guy who has been to San Diego Comic-Con mm-hmm. four or five times, um, you know, he's not 100% wrong when he says that. No, not I, at all. You no. blend right in. So. Yeah. Um, so all these plots to take over the world are now weaker the uh under Serpentor than they were under Cobra Commander. And yeah. by the last half of the second season, it's clear that the show has run out of gas. Cobra's plots <laughs> are now just background for different G.I. Joe's individual members developing their characters. This is why there's no fewer than three episodes highlighting Lifeline's pacifism. Yeah, I remember that was like do we do we have to harp on this again? Right. Um I get fact, I mean I, I get it. Yeah. His family are Quakers and yeah. you know, like can we can we move on? Oh and I'll I'll discuss the family okay. are Quakers episode too. Oh, okay. Um but in in there's a you remember how the flag got sunk, right? Yeah. It's still sunk. Um Again, they come back to this plot point, which this also is kind of interesting because it means that the the writers are self-referencing prior works. Yeah. Which means they paid attention. So there's an episode called Raise the Flag. And okay. in it, they mention professional wrestling. They don't mention Sergeant Slaughter, but they have this quote. You couldn't hit Haystacks Calhoun with a shovel. Okay. Now, what's awesome is that it's possible that Haystacks Calhoun would have seen this episode because he didn't die until 1989. Haystacks Calhoun was billed at being six foot four, 601 pounds. What? Oh, he's a big dude. You're welcome to look him up. But uh, he retired due to his weight and diabetes in 1980. Also, okay. this episode, <laughs> you had uh, a cook for Cobra on a ship that also sunk, and so it took over. He took over the flag somehow, with and he reprogrammed the bats, the battle android troopers. Okay, okay, and um, he's the cook, and he's making everything out of seaweed, and he's making them harvest. Like he figured out a way to, you know, make a garden of growable food and stuff. You found that picture of haystacks, didn't you? Yeah. Big dude, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the picture I've, I've on Wikipedia shows him standing between Tex McKenzie and Mario Milano, mm-hmm. and uh, Tex McKenzie uh, is is having to hunch over to fit in the frame of the photograph. So, mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah. my god, yeah. Um, Huge but dude. All right. Anyway, so down down under the water, uh, he's he's managed to find plenty of places with plenty of air, and and he's basically when the Joes go down there and Cobra goes down there, 
he captures all of them and he makes them his slaves and he's cooking and shit like that. Right. Um, and what's interesting is that he is singing a song uh, while he's cooking. And the song he's singing is the song by Cold Slither from the previous season. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just those little things um, that I'm just like, this is, it's, it's, there's a depth, no pun intended to this episode either. (laughs) There's a depth to what, what the writers are doing, despite having run out of all the gas. Um, So, so in this episode, uh, also I learned about something called the bends. Oh yeah. Yeah. So just again they're teaching me shit right after school In- so. interestingly that that mm-hmm. whole you know uh programs the robots and you know farming seaweed and everything mm-hmm. there's a really strong silent running vibe to that yes which is like at that point i mean silent running came out in 1972 but like i feel like whoever's whoever's in the writing room has has an sf pedigree well you know here's the other thing um, DuckTales would come out a few years later and there would be an episode where they meet meet a guy who was a captain of a ship that got stuck in the Bermuda Triangle but it turns out the triangle the, the, it didn't swallow all the ships um, people just can't get out because there's so much seaweed but they turned the seaweed into food and they made hot dogs out of seaweed and all this kind of shit that's DuckTales okay. yeah. but around this time you start to see a little industry creeping in to the health food industry and that is algae mm. as food okay yeah so all right anyway most of the plots of cobra are are just super low rent there's one where they promote the least capable leaders of gi joe into being in charge by again hacking into their commands computers uh and of course and it's it's lifeline dial tone and shipwreck uh and so, of course, di- uh, Lifeline is like, we got to get rid of all these weapons that are on our vehicles. And Dial Tone is like, we got to try all these really complex maneuvers. And Shipwreck is like, don't tell me about what's going on. I'm in charge. I'm a colonel now. I say fire. And, of course, this leads to people being injured and all kinds of shit because, you know, you have the three of them in charge. Um, and G.I. Joe's fucked for battle until real leadership shows up in the visage of Hawk and they start kicking ass again. And Hawk basically says, it's obvious that Cobra did this because of the three that you picked. He says, don't worry. It's actually a really interesting lesson to give kids, uh, who are home alone because he says, don't worry. It's not your fault that you're bad leaders. Not everybody is born to be a leader. And he says, lifeline is capable, but has no desire. Dial tone has desire but is not capable and shipwreck neither has desire nor is capable <laughs> poor shipwreck man come i know on. so put upon why 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 you gotta pick on the swabby man come on right um in the nightmare episode there's a nightmare episode uh mm. low light who i guess his his specialty is probably night fighting mm-hmm. um he says quote you make do you have no choice when lifeline asks him about his nightmares and how he copes with them because Cobra is sending nightmares to the GI Joes to make them more pliable and vulnerable and sleep deprived. Okay. Um, so Cobra is really working on the mind control aspects of the cold war here. Right. 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 
Yeah. Well, Lifeline has, or I'm sorry, uh, Low Light has forever been uh, beset or besieged by nightmares. And so he's just that very gritty, you make do, you don't have any other choice, right? And in his dreams, he's dealing with daddy issues and the whole cartoon is dealing with the psychological abuse that Low Light went through in his childhood and how he processes that by, you know, having nightmares every night. Uh, as a result, though, uh, he's resistant to Cobra's nightmare inducements, and and he's almost Wolverine-like. Uh, he seems to run on anger and grimness, and that's a boon to G.I. Joe. Okay. Um, also, in this episode, Serpentor is told that the process will take weeks, um, and Serpentor immediately starts yelling at Mindbender that it must produce results immediately, despite what he was just told by the guy who designed the damn thing and is seeing success. Um, mm-hmm. So as a result, of course, they overrush it. Um, okay. And the same, same exact thing kind of happens in a, in a different way uh, in another lifeline centric episode uh, about secondhand emotions. Um, Lifeline's father is a minister. Like you said, mm-hmm. uh, they seem to be staunch Quakers uh, and lifeline gets blamed by his sister before her wedding for his father being shitty to him. Like, he comes in for the wedding, and, you know, if you're in uh, the military, you're supposed to wear, like, formal military garb. To... Yeah, class A, class A uniform. There you go. Um, yeah. And, of course, that's an insult to his father. And and Lifeline's like, hey, Dad, how you doing? And, you know, you're wearing that military uniform and blah, 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 you know? And he's like, well, I'm sorry, Dad, but this is really important to me. And then his sister blames him for his their father being a dick. Um, yeah. So that's cool. Uh, the Cobra plot seems to be hitting the Joes with some sort of neck tag that sends them into sends emotional signals from a very specific pipe organ that Mindbender is playing. Um, and Serpentor again sees that it's succeeding and he says, okay, get out of the way. I want to do this. And he tries to fast track this project as well. Um, and of course this ruins uh lifeline sister's wedding. And there's a lot of overwrought emotions and lifeline gets violent and, and his dad is super intolerant. Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting that this me- this episode actually mentions something called emotional paralysis. In many ways, this is an episode about combat fatigue or what we now know as PTSD, which had shown up in the DSM-3 in 1980. And given that, that it's a show about militarism, it makes sense that they're bringing it up only 11 years after the Vietnam War ended. Okay, yeah. So in Joe's Night Out, uh, a new fuel source is developed, which will use nitrogen in the air as fuel, which uh, Mainframe tells the scientists that this, quote, this will mean, quote, the end of the fuel crisis in 1986. Um, Mainframe, mm-hmm. what rock have you been living under since 1972? Right. But yeah, okay. But again, we're kids. We're seeing this. We're hearing this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's mention of the fuel crisis and and the whole rest of the episode is so goddamn ridiculous. Dial tone and leather neck and wetsuit all go to a club with women. They all have dates and they're all wearing their knives and their grenades. <laughs> like They don't switch into like party gear. Well, because in a in a, you know, parallel universe where all of this happens, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, you, you have to you have to look at this <laughs> as an adult. You have to go into watching this thinking, okay, look, I'm watching. Imagine that that I'm watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. 
Yeah. Reality needs to be left at the door. Right. You know, I mean, it's the same kind of thing of like, how is it that Hulk always has purple pants on? Yeah. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. and, and I get it. They're iconic that way, but it is still funny that like, yeah. uh, so Serpentor gets on the screen of the club for this new nightclub. Serpentor is on the screen and he thanks them for falling into his trap. So he's seriously kidnapping club patrons and sending them into space while rigging it, a bunch of explosion uh, explosives to this thing so that they'll blow up in space. And he's using that as a way to kidnap the scientist in charge of the nitrogen fuel. Like. What? Yeah. And I'm going to skip over the ancient Greece episode, just like I skipped over the Egyptian afterlife episode for, from the previous season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they were probably fun, for the best. Yeah. But uh, in, in the episode, not a ghost of a chance, there's actual punditry going on. Hector Ramirez is giving equal weight to Cobra and GI Joe when discussing the experimental plane that GI Joe claims that Cobra shot down. It actually deserves notice because it's kind of a Rashomon episode. Okay. All right. Um, but uh, they also have a Cthulhu episode that involves the occult. Um, Destro now, actually, a, yeah. Could could that Cthulhu episode be kind of a tie-in with Inhumanoids at that point? No, I don't think so. Um, okay. Now I, I know what you're saying because Hector Ramirez shows up yeah. in, in both yeah, yeah, worlds. Yeah. Um, no, because it literally is Destro saying um, words backwards. Um, well, he says this really occulty sounding words. Um, that was actually just a backward recording of Destro saying, anyone listening to this backwards for a secret occult message is a real dweeb. <laughs> Which, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so, and it, it, it summons this really weird cockro- cockroach thing that Cobra okay. Commander summoned to kill okay. Serpentor. Okay. But then Destro wants to not kill Serpentor. And so, yeah, he yeah. he resummons it with anyone listening to this backwards for a secret occult message is a real dweeb, but nice. backward. But backward. Yeah. Which which makes me think of, I think it's uh, Breakfast Club and the phrase neo-maxi-zoomed dweeby. Yes. What is that? I, I just like, it's not enough to call somebody a dweeb. You're a oh, neo-maxi-zoomed yeah. dweeby. Yeah. Was, was the context in which it was used. Gotcha, gotcha. So. Well, by 1986, backmasking, which is getting messages by playing music backwards, was uh, actually a real fear for all sorts of parent groups. Like, yeah, and and yeah. I don't remember. I, I feel like it was earlier than this, but I know that Cheech and Chong mm-hmm. did, a, did a bit on one of their records back when, you know, you actually listened to it on a record player. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where one of the things they said was, uh, you know, sounding like you're playing it, you know, the, the characters in the skit are playing the record backwards. And what they hear is you're really fucking up your needle, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Well, the Parent Music Resource Center was formed in 1985 and they were very worried about demonic messaging in the backmasking. This group specifically accused Led Zeppelin. 
You see, in 1983, an Arkansas and a California bill both got proposed that basically outlawed satanic messages played backwards and enabled people to sue backmaskers for an invasion of privacy. Governor Bill Clinton sent the bill back to the state assembly where it died, and the California one never got out of committee. But we actually had lawmakers suggesting seriously that we ban demonic messages, or no, outlaw satanic messages. Like the amount of shit you have to swallow for that to be true. Oh, well, I mean, th- this is the height of the satanic panic. Yes. You know, this is this is when, you know, my my next door neighbors were legitimately uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the fact that I was into Dungeons and Dragons because, you know, they weren't fully on board with with, you know, well, you know, I mean, the idea that you're going to somehow learn how to cast spells is stupid. But like, you know, we're, we're worried about the occult overtones of this, you know, and then, of course, I grew up to be the you know fucking Boy Scout that that I, that I am. Mm-hmm. And and years later, they said, well, you know, uh, you, you know, seeing seeing how you turned out, you know, helped us kind of get past this this worry about they literally told me that I was the example that helped them overcome satanic panic. Well, well done. Which, on the one hand, feels really good. On the other hand, like, how pervasive fucking was this? These are not stupid people. Yeah. You know, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, in Sparks, Nevada, a couple of young adults shot themselves, one successfully killing himself and the other one dying, presumably, of a drug overdose three years later. Of course, in addition to the pot and the alcohol and the access to guns, they also had allegedly been listening to a Judas Priest album, Stained Class, Uh, which was alleged to have subliminal messages. This was never proven. Slayer put in a bit of backmasking on their 1985 album that simply said, join us. Okay. So at the end of it all, G.I. Joe is is using backmasking in a Cthulhu episode, right? Okay, yeah. Um, Ultimately, if you take a look, you just combine it all. G.I. Joe is about one version of Reagan that's bad for the world being defeated by a on the daily after school for all of us mm-hmm. by another version of Reagan that's hella badass. Capitalism okay. versus militarism. Okay. Now in 1985, America was also one of the best or was one of the best armed countries in the world. In 1986, this is even more so. A few Arab nations actually outspent the U.S. in terms of percentage of GDP, but mm-hmm. no one outspent the U.S. in raw dollars and capabilities. Yeah, And it's grown. So I'm going to pin everything to 2021 dollars so that we can, can, can compare. Okay. Um, and God, I hope I did this right. I'm going to sound like Marjorie Taylor Drink Green if I didn't. In 1976, the United States, the United States spent 94 billion seven hundred and fifteen million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars um on on the military in 1979 that number jumped up to 126 billion eight hundred seventy nine million nine hundred thirty thousand dollars and again this is all pinned at the 2021 dollars okay all of that was under jimmy carter the great pacifist right in 1981 it went from 126 billion to one hundred and seventy-six billion five hundred fifty-eight million eight hundred eighty thousand. Okay. 
1985, it was up to 272 billion, 163 million, 230,000. And in fact, the first time I found it drop between 76 forward was 1991, where it dropped from 325 billion, 129 million, 310,000 down to 299 billion, 372 million, 780,000. Okay. So it dropped again from 93 to 96 since the cold war had ended. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it started climbing again. And again, I'm keeping the dollars constant so we can see. Um, so even when we had won the cold war, it was still way above what it was in 1976. Yeah. Uh, from 2002 to 2003, there was an enormous jump and I, I cannot figure out the reason why you have this huge jump in expenditures uh, and budgeting toward uh, the military. Um, it went from three hundred seventy-eight billion four hundred sixty-three million uh, one hundred forty thousand up to four hundred forty billion five hundred thirty-two million seventy thousand. I, hey, I can't account for why. Can't can't account for that. No, I yeah, just, I, the, it's a mystery the, between two thousand two and two thousand three. It's, you know, cruise missiles at seven hundred thousand dollars pop doesn't. Yep. You know, no. I don't know why we'd need more don't of this though. That doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it'll forever be a mystery. I don't know. Just um, sheer spent ammunition costs. Yeah. It's it's yeah. wild. You know, there was talk of like we switched our camouflage. Um. So maybe that's large. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not an expert on yeah. these things. Okay. Yeah. Scholars yeah. may never know. Um, but by 2009, uh, under uh, the great the great saint uh, Obama, um, it was 705 billion 917 million dollars, uh, and it continued to rise until peaking in 2012, and then it started to drop below the 700 billion dollar rate again, pinning it to 2021 numbers. Mm. Uh, and then it started rising again, starting in 2016, which is also I weird. wonder why, right? And so in 2021, it crested over 800 billion. Uh, this year, uh, it's 816 billion 700 million dollars. Now, if you took our okay. military, the money yeah. we're spending on our military, same dollars, same 2021 values. Mm -hmm. And you add up the next nine countries' military budgets, we're still outspending them by $39 billion. Yeah. This and is unsurprising to me. Yeah. 23% of our defense budget is set for personnel. 23%. 14% goes to R&D. Yep. 19% goes to procurement. Okay. Now I mentioned those three things because if you think about what GI Joe toys were selling, figures, okay, yeah, people, vehicles, right, yeah. So as the economy was deflating, we can see a huge growth in the military. Clearly, increasing militarism in the 1980s was a good thing. Yeah, right. From a certain point of view. Well, to, and to secure a Jedi truth there, right. Security, the knowledge that we were safe because of all of our weapons is definitely the, the message that you would want kids who are home alone after school at record numbers because there's increased economic pressure on the parents to have nobody staying home. You want the kids to feel safe because there's weapons. 
<laughs> yeah, as a as a semi latchkey kid who yeah. who grew up in a house full of firearms, yeah, that's a great thing to be telling kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. then socially, like don't pay attention to what business is doing to your family or how your schools are failing you because they don't have the money. Uh, we're safe because we have these bombs and these tanks and these planes and these guns. Yeah. So go drink your chocolate milk, do your homework, and save the world yourself with your new toys who have a lot of really cool color schemes. Militarist Reaganism will protect you while you're home alone due to capitalist Reaganism. And don't we all want to feel safe before our parents get home? We're safe in knowing that. And knowing is half, is the, half the battle. Wow. You know, I didn't think that that this was going to be as bleak as some episodes because of all the camp, because yeah. of everything. And then and then you hit me in the last 45 seconds. <laughs> and About now all these children home alone. And and now I wish I hadn't drunk the only beer I had in the house <laughs> already. Sorry. Because damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's a that's a really grim subconscious kind of message there. Mm-hmm. Wow. We've taken your parents out of the home, but don't worry. But We've don't worry. Guns. Because, because, you know, there are, there are rough men ready to do violence to protect you. Right. From the Soviet hordes. Right. You okay? That I didn't even get into like the Beirut bombings or any shit like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. what I, what I find interesting, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the Beirut bombing and that, and that mm-hmm. kicks my brain in a certain direction. What I find interesting is, you know, there's there's so frequently when we're talking about stuff mm-hmm. on this on this podcast that, that we're doing, we we wind up running into places where um you know something has been oddly prescient. Mm-hmm. And in this last minute or five, what strikes me about it is this particular series was so very much tied up in that moment mm-hmm. that it's that, that there there is kind of accidental like they fell backwards into Fox News. Yeah, you know, um, but there's no there's no there's no uh, predictive ability. Right. Shown that, here. That, this is this yeah. is entirely a product of this very specific moment. And it is very like navel gazingly mm-hmm. focused on that moment and that phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and I wonder if it's like, okay, these are the circumstances that gave birth to this being a a thing, and so it can't escape that. I wonder you know that what I mean? too. No, I very much so because okay. I also like there's there's no way that those writers could have predicted anything that we've been through in the last four years. And yet yeah. there's no way they could have not seen that coming on yeah. some levels because 
they didn't just start in 1983 in a bubble because they wanted to make toys and and yeah. and comics. All of that was built upon. I mean, Larry Hama himself was you know editor for the Nom and shit like yeah. that. Like all of that was built upon all the experiences of the 70s. Yeah. I don't think that. I honestly ooh, talk about hinge points in history. Talked about talk mm-hmm. about alternate universes, right? If RFK had not been killed, right, I don't think we would have had Trump. Okay, yeah, like I see what you're saying. No way to find out. <laughs> yeah, but not a RFK testable hypothesis. Building a lot of steam, and if you still had MLK killed during that time, he yeah. would have been able to galvanize and wrap himself in the in the you know in in the martyr's shroud, similar to how LBJ had done. Yeah, JFK, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have that, I'm doing, I'm doing all the. Oh, just realized I'm doing all of the uh, acronyms. Um, yeah. but uh, but if RFK had not been killed, I think he would have stood a very good chance at beating Nixon. Yeah, because Nixon, Nixon, like basically, like I showed you, you know, got yeah. rid of Muskie and and handpicked um, uh, McGovern. Yeah. Um, RFK would have, I think, would have stomped his ass and would have gotten us out of Vietnam and could have gotten us into a very different space. And if yeah. that had happened, the Republicans would not have felt as entitled to the White House as they were. Yeah. With the interruption of, of uh, with with the only interruption being Carter along that way. Mm-hmm. So if that had happened, you wouldn't have had Watergate. You wouldn't have had all these other things. Iran-Contra. Right. Yeah. Um, because you, that that means you probably don't have a Ronald Reagan, because you know you don't oh. have somebody reacting. Yeah. No, you sure as shit don't wind up having Ronald Reagan. So without all those things, like yeah, it just it, it we we are living in the absolute worst possibility, because that's how evolution we, we works. Are, we are in the darkest timeline. Yeah, but yeah. like that's also how evolution works, right? It's yeah. it's it's fractal to just get over the next hump. Well, mm-hmm. hyperaggression seems to just get over the next hump. Um, you know, hypercapitalism gets a, over the next hump, you know, those yeah. kinds of things, especially when all these other things have happened. But yeah, I don't think it's predictive, but I don't think that it was in any way escapable either. Like if you if you, you know, take a look at what these guys in the 80s are, are writing about and these gals in the 80s are writing about and what these comics yeah. and these cartoons are talking about, it yeah. is 100% informed by what happened 10 years prior and it's obviously calling all the shots that it had no business calling you know 40 yeah. years later so yeah yeah and then again you know it called plenty of shots that don't exist like we don't yeah. have space stations that get taken over by the the ferocious furries um <laughs> you know we we don't yeah. have you know we don't have uh you know aztec snake venom uh, that could kill an entire squad of Marines. Um, we don't have that. Like those things also don't exist. We don't have a beauty transfer device. Yeah. Well, you know, know, the stuff that's actually built on, you know, magical pseudoscience. No, we don't have, but yeah, I, I I see. Yeah. yeah. We got to count the misses if we're talking about the predictive capabilities of a cartoon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, what have you gleaned? <laughs> you know, it's 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 become 
a sort of fashion on on some social media outlets for us as Gen Xers to to recount uh you know in a in a combination of a world weary and and kind of pissed off tone mm-hmm. about how okay no look you've you've just consistently overlooked us you you keep overlooking us but you know let, let me tell you let me tell you something about what we had, had to put up with right you know and and sometimes it's hysterical and sometimes it's tired but we really did get kind of mind fucked yep like it's it's really not a stretch and i don't think i don't think it's it's uh try i i, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we we really got heavily programmed in a way that the boomers didn't yeah and by a set of messages that are very different from the ones that were pointed at the millennials after us and the zoomers after them like we we had i don't know how many you know five or eight or ten channels on tv right so you'd come home from school and if you weren't watching gi joe what what else were you watching right there was there was an right. ability to reach because there, there was a relatively limited number of channels available there was an ability for the people sending stuff out to reach a bigger audience because whatever was on tv got a bigger share Mm -hmm. and and so like we we really got programmed hard Mm -hmm. and we you know we all have reacted to it in one way or another some of us differently you know differently than others but i think i think it really is something that's very much a gen x kind of thing because i i you know saturday morning cartoons disappeared yeah sometime after you know when when you and i were in high school saturday morning cartoons started to kind of decline yeah you know um and they're and they're not they're not even a thing anymore. They just don't exist. Really? Oh yeah, no. Well, because wh- where are you gonna? Who's 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 gonna Before, watch them? Yeah, yeah. You know how many how many people still watch broadcast TV? Like, right. you know, um, if if in a given household it's like okay, Saturday morning we're gonna put on the TV for the kids. It's like okay, well you're gonna be on Disney Plus or Amazon or what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, before Robert was born, uh, my wife at one point in a, in a fit of nostalgia, trying to feed her inner child, uh, on Saturday mornings would get up and, and go to YouTube, uh, to watch the, the gummy bears. Cause right. you know, like we, you can't find cartoons on a Saturday morning anymore. I guess the DVD market is kind of it for that. Yeah. You know. Speaking and of which, so, I have all the gummy bears if you want to borrow. Okay, I'll let her know. Okay. They're, also, they're not my thing. Streaming channels. I mean, they, yeah, well, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're on Disney Plus. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we didn't have Disney Plus at the time. Uh, but, you know. But yeah, I get you. You know, and, and so that is that is a generational artifact 
of our collective psychology that, you know, has, has left a mark on us. And I mean, demographically we're, we're a smaller group than literally any of the others around us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, um, I don't, I don't think it's unfair for us to be able to point to this and go, okay, no, look, look at the fucked up shit that, that we, that we dealt with like right here. Mm -hmm. I just want you to sit down for 10 minutes and watch this fucking cartoon. And, and you tell me this didn't fuck with us. Right. And you again, know. this is not a cartoon that we watched with family. This is not a cartoon no. that we reflected with anyone on. No. I cannot emphasize that <laughs> enough Yeah, that a large number of us saw this cartoon alone, did yep. not share it with anyone. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that's, that's my, that's my, emotional resonance about this is you know um it's it's kind of remarkable we're as functional as we are as a cohort Mm -hmm. you know um yeah that's that's pretty much that's it cool well uh what do you want people to read um i'm going to list the trilogy in the proper order this time (laughs) Because on our last episode, I, I listed the last book first, but Neuromancer, Count Zero, and Mona Lisa Overdrive, the Sprawl trilogy by William Gibson. Um, I'm I'm highly, highly re- gonna recommend um because I'm gonna be doing an episode on Cyberpunk here soon. I don't know if it's gonna be the very it's not not gonna be the very next one we do. Cause we, we have other stuff on the, on the calendar first. Uh, but it's going to be my, my next like solo. These are my notes, uh, episode. Um, and so number one, it'll be preparation for that. Number two, if you haven't read them before, um, they're, they're well worth your time. And it's, it's a, it, it is the series that codified, uh, the, the tropes that, that, tie to the genre of cyberpunk so okay there we go how about you well i'm going to recommend two things one there is a documentary uh that was oh god it's got to be like 14 15 years old now uh it's michael moore uh put out uh capitalism a love story it's really good um and it has uh, honestly you don't even have to watch the whole thing though i do recommend it just watch the part about ronald reagan um, and then number two, I'm going to recommend to you, uh, the man who sold the world, Ronald Reagan and the betrayal of main street America by William Kleinknecht, Klein, Kleinknecht, Kleinknecht. Anyway, William Klein, K L E I N K. And then you, it'll fill in the rest for you. But okay. the man who sold the world, Ronald Reagan and the betrayal of main street America. So there you go. Very those, cool. Those two, I think, are a pretty good companion piece. So cool. Well, uh, do you want to be found? Uh no. I okay. am I continue to be a to be a shadow in the warp. Um I, like it. I, I do not wish to be found. Uh, but we collectively, of course, can be found at wubba 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 geekhistorytime.com and on Twitter we are Geek History Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to shout at us about some some detail from the G.I. Joe TV series that 
that we got wrong um or if you want to you know yell at me preemptively about cyberpunk as a genre the that would be one place to do it um at least as long as that site uh doesn't explode in a ball of of blue twittering flame um and how about you where can you be found because i i know you you have a public persona unlike me I do, I do. Uh, the best place to find me right now would be to buy a ticket to the May 5th Capital Punishment Show uh, at Luna's up here in Sacramento. Uh, if you can't make it to the May 5th one, or if this episode pops out after that, then go to the June 2nd Capital Punishment Show, uh, also in Sacramento at Luna's. Uh, bring $10 uh, and then bring another $10 so you can buy some merch and buy some food. So cool, that's, cool. that's where you can find us. So. For nice. Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, Cobra!